Well, good morning. I don't know how your week has been, but um, my week has been crazy. I've been all over uh, the place. I have, uh, for those of you that don't know, I have a a business in in Canton that I uh, run, and we had uh, five events going on this weekend, which I was helping plan for. And as you've already heard, we had our annual business meeting yesterday, which I was a lot of processing, thinking, planning, anticipation, and, and prepping a message for today. And as I was trying to process what, uh, what I was going to talk to you about this morning, I, I had a whole bunch of different ideas. And by Wednesday of the week, I still had a whole bunch of different ideas. And uh, thanks to the encouragement of some others, and I believe uh, encouragement from God and my uh, teammate, Glenn, we decided to return to the resurrection this morning. I think oftentimes we get going and, 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 and Easter is this moment of celebration of the resurrection, but something that I said last week, and I believe it to be true, I know it to be true, is that the resurrection changes everything. The resurrection changes everything. It's not a a blip on the map. It's the whole map. And so as we live and, 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 and grow in maturity towards Christ, as we're transformed, the transforming power, everything surrounds the resurrection, is entrenched in the resurrection. And so we touched on some of that last week. And, and when I, I, I started the message, and I want to remind us this week, uh, we looked at 1 John three sixteen through 18. Uh, the kids sang a beautiful song about it, and, and it goes like this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Continues. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can, we love, how can the love of God be in that person? And, and so we, we talked a little bit about this, this incredible example that Jesus set for us in living and dying sacrificially in love. That is how we want to live, right? We want to live like that. But that can be really hard to do. And I, as I was thinking about this, thinking about the resurrection, I feel like that gives us the foundation, the structure, the hope, the fulfillment of promises and promises to come that we can hold on to. And in holding on to that, it enables us to love exceptionally, love like Jesus. And I was so blessed this last week as I had a crazy week and I was running this way and that and trying to do. Have you ever had a week where you're running in like, it feels like you're running in five different directions? Man, you're working so hard, you're exhausted and, and, and you're just like, boy, you get to the end of the week, you're like, I must have accomplished so much. And then you look back and you go, I feel like I accomplished nothing. <laughs> Ever happened to you? 
running around, moving, moving. You're constantly moving. You're trying to get all these different things done. And then you get to the end of the week and you go, what was I even doing? It was a week like that for me last week. And it seemed like there was a barrier, one barrier after the next. And as I had encouraged last week to love practically, to see brothers and sisters in need and to take pity on them and pour out the gifts that you have on them, I experienced that from three different people in this community last week. I hit a need and boom, they were right there to take care of that need and fill that need. How incredible, and for me, how encouraging to the fact that I'm not just reminding us of what Scripture tells us how to live. We're living it. That's so awesome. And that is the community that we want to be. So as we are looking to live and love like Jesus, we can hold on to the hope, the power that's given through the Holy Spirit, and the faith in trusting that the implications that uh, what Jesus, Jesus was, who he said he was, and his promises are true. We can hold fast to these things, and that will help enable us to continue to be transformed into the image of Christ and to love and live like him. So today, what I want to do is I want to maybe unwrap or unpack another everything from Scripture that the resurrection changes. Um, and uh, I, I love this text in Mark. Uh, if you've spent some time reading the Gospels, Mark is great because he just keeps everything real simple. <laughs> if you want to read a Gospel in a day, your best bet, turn to Mark because he just is like, bing, 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 bing. Keeps everything really short. We have eight verses here. But there is a lot packed into these verses. We have evidence of the reality of the resurrection. Mark presents us with the first three eyewitnesses. And in old history, eyewitnesses were everything. It wasn't, there wasn't a lot of written things to keep track of, like, oh, this is what happened, this is what happened, this is what happened. Obviously, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they do write things down eventually, but in the moment, so much was around the eyewitnesses. And the fact that we have three means that they can collaborate each other's, you know, they can, they can, you can check their stories against each other and go, oh, this is true. So what a cool element of this text presents us with the three eyewitnesses, the reality of the resurrection. And later in the text, it gives us gives a command. It says, go. It says, the angel says to, uh, to the, the three women to go and spread the good news, specifically to the disciples and Peter. But today, I want to focus on two specific items. One, I believe that Jesus models the, our relationship between forgiveness and repentance, and that in receiving the perfect grace through the finished work of Jesus, crucifixion and resurrection, it has drastic implications on how repentance works. And we're going to get into that today. 
To uncover these truths, I'm actually going to dive into one verse from the text that we read that really resonates these realities to me. This is the angel sent from the Lord telling, talking to the women. He says, but go tell his disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. I think it's really significant that Mark takes down the fact that the angels told the women to include Peter. It's really significant that Mark tells us that the angels included Peter. He, just, he didn't say, go tell the disciples. Peter was a disciple. But he made a special statement to say, and Peter. And I want to dig into that a little bit, the significance of that. And to do that, we're going to go back in time a few chapters, and we're going to look at Mark 14, 27 through 31. Jesus is with the disciples, and he says to them, You will all fall away, for it is risen, I will, written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen... I will go ahead of you to Galilee, Peter declared. Even if all fall away, I will not. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. And Peter insists empathetically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. We're going to skip ahead 35 verses, Mark 14, 66. And Jesus has been taken into custody. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also were with the Nazarene, Jesus, she said, but he denied it. I don't know or understand what you are talking about, he said, and went out into the entryway. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, this fellow is one of them. Again, he denied it. After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, Surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. He began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately the rooster crowed a second time, and Jesus remembered, or Peter remembered the words that Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me, disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. As you can tell, reading this um, record of Peter, for me, is, is very emotional. Because we're all Peters. In some way or another, we may not, we may not deny 
Jesus with our words, but how often do we deny him in our actions or in our mind or thoughts? I know for me, as we're preparing, can't speak. You'll have to forgive me. I'm a little tired this morning. As we're preparing for annual business this week, and I'm processing things, so I'll give you a picture into my mind. I start projecting all the possible problems that could happen and how I could fix it or make it better. I think good planning is important, and caring exceptionally is also really important. But when we get to the moment where we're trying to control things or we're trying to make our will be done, right? A lot of times we think we know what's best. A lot of times we're wrong. I certainly am. And so as I'm mulling through situations that haven't even happened, right? Am I trusting that it's in his hands? And I had a good friend shoot me a text, and they were mulling too. <laughs> they were mulling too. And, and it was such a great reminder. And so I encouraged them and said, God's in control. And then when I got to see them on Saturday, I said, that encouragement wasn't just for you. That encouragement was for me. God is in control. And when we lose sight of that, when we try to have our will be done, we're denying who he is, right? Just like Peter. He used his words, but we're denying him by saying, not your will, Lord, but mine, right? You guys with me? All right. There's a little bit of my mind. So if you ever see me spinning, my daughter asked me yesterday, I'm sitting on the porch and I'm staring off. It was mostly because I was exhausted. But I'm sitting on the porch, I'm staring down the road at traffic driving by, and she goes, Daddy, are you thinking? <laughs> uh, and I said, not right now. <laughs> but like... <laughs> But uh, it, was, it, was, it was cute. So when you see me staring off, you could probably ask the same question. Aaron, are you thinking? <laughs> or is your brain just tired? Uh. But in this sorrow, so as I'm weeping and, 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 and realizing and relating with Peter, there's this, this verse, this text the reality of the resurrection brings such incredible joy. Such incredible joy. And we're going to see that in a second. So the first thing, as we reflect on, we see in this text, we see God's response to the scattering of the sheep. Right? We see, we see that. As he's engaging with the women, we see God's response to the scattering of the sheep. And this is where I think Jesus' 
the way he functions in, in, in forgiveness and repentance is backwards from how we often function, right? Like, let's put this in perspective. The scattering of the sheep. You're feeling betrayed by a friend, hurt, let down. Someone does something really terrible to you. That's what Peter did. It was really terrible. Um, and so someone's done something really terrible to you, hurt you deeply. When you think about restoring the relationship, oftentimes our tendency would be to, well, if that person just comes and repents, right? If they just come to me and say, Aaron, I'm so sorry. I betrayed you. I'm the worst, right? Then I could be like, you're right, and I forgive you, <laughs> right? That's how it works, right? It's not what Jesus did. Jesus didn't demand repentance. He didn't go to the scattered sheep and say, grovel, because I am Lord of the universe. Grovel before me. He is deserving of all exaltation, all glory, all honor. But he didn't go and say, get down on your knees for what you've done. We say, if you repent, I might love and forgive you. But Jesus says, I love and forgive you. And because of that, it's possible for you to repent. I love and forgive you, and because of that, I've opened the door to repentance. And it transforms it. With Peter, through the angel, he didn't only not demand the apology, but he initiates a go ahead of me, meet me in Galilee. And through this, he's saying directly to Peter, I want you to be part of what I'm doing. The implications of that are huge. If you're Peter, who said to Jesus, I will die with you. There is no world where I'll deny you. And yet denies, 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 and then is reminded at the crow calling twice that I am a failure. I failed. I lied. The brokenness and potential guilt or shame that would be hovering over Peter could be huge. But Jesus says, that stuff doesn't have any power in our relationship, Peter. It doesn't have any power in our relationship. Now, guilt and shame can act as a pointer, Right? so that we repent. But what Jesus saying is saying is, I forgive you. Come be part of what I'm doing. And out of that, um, repentance is completely and utterly transformed. Which brings us to the second part of this Message. So we see now that through Jesus, he's established a new mode for us to engage with repentance and forgiveness. And that through Jesus, 
because of his love and forgiveness, he's opened the door for us to have a new relationship with repentance. And that is what we're going to dive into now. And as we do, I want to really quickly look at 1 Timothy 1 through 15. Paul says this, Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Paul puts himself forward and says that Jesus' patience doesn't run dry. And his saving work, it's not limited. And thanks to the finished work of Jesus, the death and resurrection, we are freed to have a new relationship with repentance. And I've said that a few times. And this is what I mean by it. Repentance outside of Jesus feels like death. Think about it for a minute. You do something horrid. And so to repent is like claiming that, right? Taking it on, being like, I'm a horrible person. And so what do we do? Often, we make excuses. We blame other people, um, we blame our situations, anything not to own our mistakes and repent because it feels like death if it's not held in perspective. But, and this is where it's been transformed, if you let your failure drive you deeper into your faith not by my work and my past, but by Christ's work and Christ's past. It stops being a death and it starts being a resurrection. New life. Because now we have a gift. We can bring these things freely to God, repenting of what we've done and freeing ourselves of guilt, no guilt, no shame, rather than repentance acting as a barrier. It is now a tool of incredible freedom. So as we live and love, something, one of the, one of the forever changed things by the resurrection that I think is crucial for us as a community to hold on to is that repentance isn't a death. Repentance is a wonderful act of life in Christ. And we can do it freely. And not only can we do it freely, but it brings incredible freedom in the living. As we're living out our life of faith, we no longer have to hold on to these things or feel like we need to blame this out or the other thing. We can take it right to Jesus. And you know what? He says like he says to Peter, 
I already forgave you. And he receives our repentance. I'd like to invite up the worship team. One of the key elements of this is that it's no longer dependent on us, but Christ in us. Christ in us is capable of all things. I think of Galatians 2.20. It says this. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now have in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. The freedom that we have living in Christ, living in full acceptance of the fact that it's his work, not our work, that it's his will, not our will, that it's his church, not our church. We are blessed to be part of it. We're blessed to be members of it. We're blessed to be created in the image of God to do good works, which he set out for us. Glory to God. Amen? Amen. So as we continue to hold on to these truths, the truths and promises of the finished work of Jesus, the death and resurrection, we can look to his example, allowing us to love and live like him as we read about in uh, 1 John 3.16. And we can boldly hold on to the identity that we have in Christ, embracing repentance as an act of freedom, enabling us to move forward with confidence that Christ can do the work in and through us if we let him.